This episode of the Memory Palace is brought to you by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. All the times he'd been to the Arctic, and the guy had been up there a bunch, he'd never seen it like that. Not so early. The usual plan was you'd pull up anchor from San Francisco in March or April, so you'd get up to Alaska by June, July at the latest. There'd still be snow and icebergs, because it was still the Arctic and it was 1897 and we hadn't screwed everything up up there yet. But whalers and traders and hunters and fishermen could get around well enough. And then they'd turn around and head back south with their pelts and whale oil before things got too crazy. Some crews would just plan on staying. They'd pack a ton of food, get as far north as they could until everything froze around them, and they'd hole up until spring. They were nuts, but they were used to that sort of thing. It was standard operating procedure for sailors and trappers and other bearded, wind-burned men who worked in the frozen parts of the world back then. And the men needed to work well together or it didn't work at all. So the captains would need to communicate and cooperate. They could be competitive about finding that secret fishing spot or the best place to hunt for whales. But if the ice farther north was unbreakable, if that Inuit village where they used to trade guns for food every year had pulled up stakes or been ravaged by disease or overrun by yetis or something, people needed to know, or people died. Because no matter how many times George Fred Tilton, 37 years old, of Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, third mate on the whaling ship Belvedere, had been to the Arctic, no matter how down for the cold he was, how nonchalant he could be about living for months on end in an alien, hostile landscape, in a state of extreme hardship and deprivation. It was different every year. The wind and the ice and the swirling waters would form whole new mountain ranges and valleys and plains. Each year it would make itself anew, come up with new ways to mess with you. So that's why you arrived in the summer, before the Arctic had put its bulwarks and booby traps in place to repel the bearded invaders. But the summer of 1897 was different. They got slowed down a little bit, Tilton and the men of the Belvedere. But that wasn't really it. They left on time, mid-March, from San Francisco. They hit a storm off the Aleutians and had to spend a bit too long on shore fixing a mast and burying a crew member. But they had made it to Alaska by mid-July, which was totally reasonable any other year. But three days north of their Aleutian stopover, they hit ice and joined a line of a dozen or so steamers and sailing ships, taking turns to break that ice and clear a channel in the Bering Sea. They broke through and headed up toward the coast of Siberia, but only found more ice there. By July 23rd, they were more than 450 miles behind schedule. By September 1st, they decided to pack it in, make one final loop around Herschel Island, just off the northern coast of the Yukon Territory in Canada hope for another whale or two, and head home before they got stuck. But a week later, Tilton knew they were too late. The young ice seized around the Belvedere, and around two other whalers in the area. The Orca was the first ship to go. Its crew had known it was coming, had heard the hull groan and crack, and they set out on foot, loading everything they could into rowboats they dragged behind them across the snow as they watched their ships snap in two, only to be held there suspended in the ice, just waiting for spring to come and unpause the scene and let the water rush in, 
and down it would go. And they met up with men fleeing from a ship called the Freeman, itself trapped, pinned between two ice floes, and suspended mid-sinking. And they all made their way, 100-plus shipless sailors, to the Belvedere, where George Fred Tilton was counting its rations and wondering aloud whether they had enough food for its own 49 men. They could break down the Belvedere, make cabins from its planks. The blacksmith could turn its anchor into ovens. But they couldn't eat the crow's nest. They couldn't send an SOS. Couldn't expect to be happened upon by some Coast Guard crew. Summer had snapped into winter. And they were stuck. And they would die. Already, months before, a cutter called the Bear had gotten swept too far north and trapped. Its first mate had shot himself. Its engineer and its fireman and four crewmen went mad. Its blacksmith and seven sailors got trapped on an ice shelf that shattered and sank. So they knew they were sunk, the men of the Belvedere and the Orca and the Freeman. No one knew where they were, so no one was coming for them. Just some cruel fate, frostbite or illness, or madness or accident or starvation lying in wait for them out there in the white. But Tilton had a plan, one that no man had ever attempted, that no man today could ever replicate. Not that anyone would want to. He would walk back from a whaling voyage. Hear him out, he said. Their boat wasn't going anywhere until at least next July, and they'd be lucky if half their party was alive next July. Their best bet was some other boat coming up as far as it could and then getting on the ice with dog sleds and food and supplies and hauling it to them, he said. And this was 1897, and they didn't have radios or the internet or cell service. He didn't say that, but you get it. There was no way to tell anyone where they were and how screwed they were unless Tilton told them in person. And the next morning, though it looked like night there, north of the north of Alaska, George Fred Tilton set out for San Francisco. Across the ice and snow came George Fred, pushed by the swirling wind caught by a sail affixed to a mast, affixed to a sled pulled by nine dogs, thundering across the frozen sea and onto the snow that covered Alaska, day after sunless day, 2,600 miles ahead of him, all alone, just a man and man's best friend, on a mission, against all odds. Well, there were three men, actually. It was George Fred Tilton, a bunch of dogs, and two whole other guys. But I have no idea what their names were because George Fred Tilton never wrote them down. But they were both native Siberian men who'd shipped out with the Orca, who seemed to realize that even if the stranded sailors somehow made it through the winter, no one was going to look out for them. So their best bet for getting home was to try their luck with the crazy man trying to sled his way to San Francisco. And I am pretty much guessing about their motivations here because George Fred didn't write it down. He might not have even asked. Though you'd think he would have had plenty of opportunity out there in the tundra with nothing to do but hold on to his sled and try to survive while on a heart of darkness adventure through months of perpetual darkness. But instead, he barely mentions the other two guys, except to complain that they didn't know how to build a proper igloo. But the two unnamed men were with him, nearly starving again and again, but for times that they stumbled upon A, the hut of a half-crazed ethnographer out collecting artifacts for the Natural History Museum of some eastern city. B, the Norwegian trapper who knew just enough English to tell Tilton that he thought he was crazy. C, the doctor. 
D. The flock of nearly frozen ducks, woefully off course. E. The school marm, Miss Hannah Holt, in the village near Cape Cruisenstern. And F. The carcass of a bowhead whale, adrift on an ice floe. There were times that they too were adrift on the ice. Times they needed to break off an ice shelf and try to push it across open water. Times when the dogs, raised to go ever onward, made to go ever onward, tumbled off an unseen cliff's edge only to become tangled in their harnesses as they dangled over the edge, howling into the howling wind. Times when dogs ran away in the night. Who can blame them? Times when half-starved in the most unforgiving season anyone could remember, they had to steer clear of Inuit villages for fear of what half-starved peoples might do if strangers showed up looking for food. And there were times, countless times and nights in the tundra, where time turned strange, and morning was night and twilight was dawn, when they traveled on and on with the shush of the sled, and the white turned blue in the light of the moon, or green then purple and then green again, as the aurora rippled and wisped and waved all around them, as they raced down from the top of the world. And there was a time Tilton traded the dogs for a leaky boat, and took the leads and the leashes and the straps from the sled, and took his own underwear and, and used them all to patch up the leaks, and then rode 37 miles down the Shelikoff Strait to the island of St. Paul, where he promised a man $7,000 and chartered a schooner to take them to the southern shore of Alaska, where another boat would take them to another boat, would take them to another boat, which would take them to a train, to a train, to another train, to Portland, and down to San Francisco where he arrived exhausted and wild-eyed after a six-and-a-half-month sprint of 3,000 miles at the office of his shipping company and told them to send a rescue boat. And George Fred Tilton saved the day. Or he sort of saved the day. Technically, the day was saved months earlier because he had made sure that every time he met someone on his journey, he told them where the ships were and hoped that they would find a way to send help. And so there was actually already a rescue mission en route long before he arrived in San Francisco. And so the whole sprinting aspect of his trip was kind of pointless. And also, those ships that were sent months earlier, they took forever to get there. And by the time they arrived, everything was unfrozen. And so the men on the Belvedere were pretty much just chilling and hunting whales and stuff. But not important. George Fred Tilton saved the day. And also those two other guys. But still, George Fred Tilton, total hero. The Memory Palace is produced by me with production assistance from Kathy Two. This show is a proud member of the Radiotopia family of podcasts. If you are looking for your next favorite podcast, today I'm going to suggest Strangers by my friend Leah Tao. It is a big-hearted, wonderfully crafted storytelling podcast built on really insightful and surprising interviews. So check it and the other Radiotopia podcasts at radiotopia.fm. And if you've got a second, do me a favor tell a friend about the podcast go to itunes and leave a review or click five stars make sure you're subscribed on itunes and i'll talk to you in a couple weeks
Radiotopia. From Peace.